Welcome to the Follow the Leaders podcast, where we get a glimpse into the minds and lives of exceptional leaders and hear about their experiences, insights, and strategies for success. On today's episode, we'll hear from one heart-centered, effective leader and hear about their wisdom and perspective. So get ready to follow along. Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be so excellent because I'm talking with an amazing leader who knows how to lead dynamic teams with vigor, enthusiasm, and charisma. My conversation today is with Ashley Quinto Powell. Ashley is a serial entrepreneur and national speaker. She's the author of the book, Executive Motherhood, The Art of Having It All Without Doing It All, and is the founder of a virtual assistant company, My VA Rocks. She's spoken about motherhood for TEDx, AnitaB.org, the University of Chicago's Polsky Center, and many others. She lives in Madison, Wisconsin with her husband and two children. Since I met Ashley last year, I've been so impressed by how she leads not only her company, but how she also leads the way in advocating for women who pursue and succeed in careers they love. Ashley, congratulations on all of your success and your impact. You have your speaking that you do, your book. I read it. It's excellent. We'll talk about that definitely. And you have your company. And so can you just sort of fill listeners in on, in an average week, what do all of your leadership roles and your work roles look like? The main thing that I focus on is the company, My V Rocks. And part of my goal for that company is, is to get it to a point where it's operate, where it can operate without me. And that's been an interesting exercise because, you know, it's not so easy to give up stuff, especially stuff that uh, feels like you should have your hand in it, stuff that feels like only I can really do this. But I've identified where I've been a bottleneck and then handed it off. And so I'm in the midst of handing over like my last bottleneck, which feels pretty good. But from that perspective, let's call it my nine to five. Although to be fair, it's probably (laughs) like an eight to noon. And then I, I speak and promote my book. That's kind of, that's a really fun project. I really enjoy that. And then, you know, we're getting into kiddo activity season where my children are bizarrely overscheduled this fall. (laughs) <laughs> but I, sort of think, I think about things really holistically. So you, know, you only have 24 hours in a day and you have to get all the stuff accomplished. Or you have to get all of the home stuff, all of the work stuff, all of the fun stuff, all of the friend stuff. And so I think I look for shortcuts and I try to identify like what's the most important thing for me to do today and then prioritize from there. And that, you know, that can sometimes be difficult because especially in business, business owners tend to fight all the fires and it can be hard to move away from things on fire. But mostly that's what I'm doing. I'm sort of fighting fires and then ruthlessly prioritizing my other, the other quarter of my day. That's exactly what my impression was that you are in a lot of places throughout the day, all in a varied way. And so, and I can I can relate. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want, yes, I do like to have my hands in a lot of things and that works for me and and it apparently works for you as well. (laughs) Okay. I watched your TED talk and read your book and I've learned a little bit about your backstory. So I'm wondering how your previous jobs and roles supports your ability to lead your growing team in your business now. And I would imagine the team that you needed to have in order to get your book from like idea to publication or get you onto stages, all the things you do. You have so many moving parts. You have your operations team and your VAs and your all of the things. And 
I know that takes a really special set of skills. So I'm curious how your background in tech and consulting and all of the other work that you've done prepared you for these dynamic leadership roles. I founded my first startup when I was really young, like too young to do it. And I think it was in my early 20s. And every time I see some young startup kid talking about how they're going to disrupt the industry, like we don't know enough about that industry to disrupt it yet. I think you need to spend 20 years toiling away. Of course, it's not probably not actually true, but we need more time. We need more time in business before you actually are running something on your own. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, I would have waited a long time. But I started my first startup when I was really young, and that got me into coding. I had been in sales uh, and in real estate. So I, I, I loved sales that I was doing in real estate, like as a kid, because it paid way better than babysitting. I was not a great babysitter. Showing apartments in Chicago and making commission. And I loved that. So I took that combination of sales and tech and sold high-end IT for a long time in a bigger, in a big corporate environment. That was a really great place to cut teeth in sales, but not a great place for management. It was a really toxic environment in the way that you can imagine that high pressure sales environments are awful. Mm-hmm. And then I left to do the same thing, but for a smaller company. And I learned so much in management from that smaller company. They really had Bendy Works in Madison. These really wonderful philosophies around how they treat your whole career. You know, it's a, you do a tour of duty. You're not expected to stay forever. So you can really talk openly about your plans. They were so supportive. They just have really wonderful management philosophies. And then I went to Chicago to work for a slightly bigger version of that, where I you know, made great contacts. And I learned more about operating in the entrepreneur's operating system, which was valuable, but I don't necessarily do that at my company. But you know, you get all of these little pieces from everywhere that you go. And and I had a couple of companies before I started this one. When I was consulting, I was consulting agency owners on how to do their sales. And when I started hiring virtual assistants, I was mostly hiring moms uh, who were who were not able to go back. I mean, you remember what the pandemic was mm-hmm. like, right? We were all trying to administer mm-hmm. virtual school and keep our business alive for our boss under the impression that we were still at 100% capacity. <laughs> and so I started sort of scooping up moms and caregivers who weren't going back to the office. But I feel like if you put all of that in a blender, it is exactly where I am now. So if you take sales and you take the management experience and you take staffing and you take moms and women and just put everything in a blender, what you get out of it is my daily life now. And I got to tell you, it's really, it's really pretty great. I'm having the best time ever. I love it. That I love that expression about the blender. I relate to that so much. And I was just at a family reunion and kind of talking about career path because, you know, these people are family members that I haven't seen in a long time and just sort of trying to explain how, yeah, there were a lot of different offshoots of the path, but it all sort of led here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with your blender example from now on. is always so hard for me because I've never been able to see my path forward, I can only see how it makes sense looking backwards. And I've always been confused about people who are like, oh, this is a very purpose. This is what I'm going to do. Like, oh, I've never been able to, like, I, I closed my, my first company in 2008, which was a charming time to be 
in the job, you know, in the job market. And it just hasn't always been obvious, but looking back, like, oh, yes, there is a thread that makes its way through. Certainly not. I could never have seen it looking forward. That was totally true. And don't you kind of feel like we get to this place? I feel like I'm finally there. And I'm curious if this lands for you at all, where, yes, now looking back, we can say, okay, yes, all the things connected, even though in the moment they felt all so separate. But now I feel like I'm better able to trust that even when the pieces feel separate going forward, that I'm, I know because I've proven it to myself that the pieces will all connect someday. And so I do feel like there gets to be that point where we can say, okay, yes, it might not make total sense to be doing this, 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 and this in this current moment, but it will someday (laughs) and just trust that it all comes together. It totally lands for me very well. Awesome. Okay. So I admire so many things about you as a leader and a trailblazer. And one aspect that really stands out to me is your willingness to put yourself out there on stages and on bookshelves and online videos. It's really inspiring because even though I consider myself to be multi-passionate like you, those ways feel like a really big stretch, but you've done it and you were successful at it. And so I'm just curious if you have any tips or strategies for taking those leaps that feel bold. They're not actually bold. <laughs> and I I went to this great conference, just the first time I went, to, so it's a conference called Write Speak Code, and it is specifically meant to get more women into technical speaking. And there was this amazing session about how to handle, first of all, it was about how to handle the men that come to technical talks and challenge women giving technical talks. Uh, there's some, there was just some like beautiful advice um, there. But one of the things that came up in the Q&A was like, well, what if somebody, you know, what if there's a troll? What if someone takes what I say out of context? And then, and the, the person leading the session I can't actually remember who it was, but they said, oh, you're not there yet. That's not a concern for you. You don't, you don't have any trolls. When you have enough people watching, you might have trolls, but that's not a problem you can even consider right now. And that really helped. Actually, I've never, I've never had anyone be anything but supportive. And part of that is, you know, I, my network is filled with these amazing, supportive entrepreneurs, both men and women. And so I don't think I have anyone who's like hating me. And also like they don't have to pay any attention to me. That's an okay. That's an okay choice. When you de-risk it like that, it mm-hmm. it makes it way easier. And in reality, you're praying for enough people yeah. to pay attention that someone is offended. You know, that would be, that's a symptom of success. And so taking that fear out of it makes it way easier that really the thing you should be afraid of is that nobody is paying attention. Not that people are paying so much attention that they're critical. And I think maybe the secret to you know, like all of the stuff that I've done that seems really neat is to, is that I took the at bat, you know, lots of people talk about writing a book. And actually before I wrote a book, if you had said, Oh, this is something I would like to do. I would have pulled you aside and I would have said, listen, all of the practically all 90% of the nonfiction business books are written by men on the bestsellers list. So if you look, it's like John, John, James, Joe, <laughs> Jack, and Jim, and then probably John four more times, and then Brene Brown twice. <laughs> yes. so there are men out there who are writing the book 
that you're deliberating on. And you know what? They're doing it poorly. They're doing it terribly. You can do it well, and you know you can do it well. It's sitting in you, but it, it, unless you let it out, it's not going to make an impact at all. So just do just do the thing because they're you know somebody else is going to do it. They're going to do it poorly, and you even if you're just going to do it semi well, you know the people that we know are not doing it semi well. They're crushing no. it. So yes. get it out there and do it. And I had that philosophy when I was trying to give my TEDx, and I had that philosophy around my book. And like ah, we're just gonna just going to do it and see what happens. And you know, people can tell me no, or that could be okay, but I'll just try again. So. So do you have moments where you pause and you're like, what was I thinking? Or do you just full guns a blazing it? Blazing. I mean, once you're out there, like you can't regret it, you know? No. Yeah, totally. Oh, I love it. Speaking of bookshelves, I recently finished your intriguing book, Executive Motherhood. It was engaging and it was funny and smart. And I listened to the audiobook version, which was like definitely the way to go. I mean, I, I'm sure that the hard copy is great too, but the audiobook, you read it. And so that was really enjoyable for me. And I love how you boldly advocate for women who are dedicated to both their careers and their families and want both to thrive. And one of the pieces of advice that you included was to stop giving internal solutions to external problems. As you were explaining, like, don't ask someone their why when what they really need is infrastructure and true help. That doesn't make sense. And so I'm just wondering if you can explain a little bit more about that perspective and that idea. I know that it's in your book and everybody should read it, but I really think this is a very helpful reminder for leaders. People that are directing teams is really to really remember this piece. So I'm just curious if you could expand on that a little bit. Flatter that you liked the book and that you liked the and that you liked the audiobook in particular. It was really fun. And I was I felt way better about my book being out there. You know, it's very personal and I felt way better about it once I had an audiobook and it was really in my voice. Oh. I felt way more comfortable oh. with having I feel way more comfortable with having someone listen to it than read it. Oh, I so I am super jazzed that you liked it women and especially women of color quite a lot that we suggest that they change something about themselves when we should be changing the system. And, and that shows up really clearly for most women and a, and a lot of men in imposter syndrome, where we call it, first of all, we call it a syndrome and assume that it is internal to them and ignore that actually we've been giving people s signals that they are not good enough for years. And so now we expect them to just ignore ignore these 20 years of subtle signals about how they're not good enough and be fully confident. That's not even fair or reasonable to expect. And, and so we probably, as a society, we probably need to go back and fix some of that. But you know, that, that comes out as for single moms a lot too. When I talk about the solutions and how you get help from your partner or get your partner to do their fair share I almost always have somebody say, well, what about single moms? And I feel so strongly that single moms have it so tough that you can't, you can't tell a single mom to do more. You cannot. The only thing you can really do is exactly, like, no, no, don't ask a single mom to do more or change the way she's doing it. She is, I promise, doing everything she can and she's doing it the best that she can. So if you, if you need something more, you kind of got to look around and figure out what you can do mm -hmm. to alleviate some of this, some, what must, what has to be some very, very difficult circumstances. And even in the best situations, it is really tough 
So, so when we say like, well, what would you tell a single mom? I would, I would not tell her anything. I would give her a hug and see if I can pick up the kids from soccer <laughs> practice while I'm picking up my own. But that's a, it's, a, it's an example of trying to solve an external problem with an internal solution. You sometimes just can't fix the system by changing yourself. Mm-hmm. Other people to change themselves. We should really acknowledge that we are not setting people up well for success, especially parents who are more likely to want to advance, who are more likely to want higher level management positions. And this is what happens to our executive pipeline of women. They're not encouraged in the right ways. They're not supported in the right ways. And then we see a really significant drop off in their participation in management and their participation in in an upward trajectory and then wonder what happened and say, you should have the strength to do well. I mean, why don't we make it easier on everyone from a systemic level? Totally. Yeah. No, I, it was right after I read that part of the book or listened to that part of the book, I was talking to somebody who just moved from one city to another. She has three kids under the age of four. She is sick. They they all got COVID as they were moving. And on top of that, she works and her husband works. And, you know, she called me and she was like, how am I? I'm so anxious. I'm so stressed out. I'm so all of these things. And I'm supposed to be working right now. She was like, how do I get less stressed? And I thought of your book and I was like, get a babysitter, (laughs) have your dinner delivered, hire somebody to come and help you clean your house. And she's fortunate she has the resources to do that. But it's like, why are you stressed? Because you have too much on your plate right now. You need to get some external help. This is not an internal problem. This is an external problem. So I appreciated that very much. Right. The stress is not the problem. And I'm sure she really appreciated you identifying that that it's not a stress issue. You also really included some very empowering messages about how women really need to be open about discussing money and how that in and of itself is a form of self-advocacy. And I just really appreciated that part. That is definitely like the shadow topic on a normal basis, even for working professional women that are rooting for each other and working to advance our careers in parallel. It still seems like a really difficult topic. And you just really explained in the book how important it is. And so I'm just curious if there's any inspiration you can give listeners on that topic. I, I actually don't know a single woman who is overpaid. And and it happens less now. But certainly I remember hearing quite a lot that when you had a really high-performing woman leave a position that she needed to be replaced by multiple people, she feels like, oof, oh. a poor woman she would have taken it as a source of pride, right? That she was juggling all the things without complaint. But that's not fair to us. It's not fair to our families. When I think about building wealth, especially generational wealth, the families like mine that are led by female breadwinners are at a significant disadvantage. And that's not fair to my kids. And you know, any mama bear will tell you that if you try to mess with her kids, that's going to be a really big problem. So if you think about it like that, you're not working for fun. We're working so that we can give our children things we didn't have when we were growing up. We're, we're maintaining a lifestyle. We're buying houses so that we can grow equity and so that we can pass things down. So that is the legacy that we are preparing to leave our children. And if we accept that our legacy will be smaller because we're women, it really takes away something so big about what we're doing here. 
And I think that's probably a helpful reframing for a lot of women that it's not about you and it's not about being polite. One of my favorite objections to, you know, like, why would you not ask for a raise? And if some people really, really don't like that they would have a conflict with a potential boss right before joining the team. And I have said, you can call me any ugly name you want, but for $10,000. So I'm okay (laughs) if you think I'm not a team player, if you pay me $10,000 more, that's fine. That's what that's going to cost you. That's fine. And, you know, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit different from by how people will think and realistically we're women. So they're going to think our skirt is too short or too long that our hair is too, you know, it's too frumpy or too sexy. You know, like this is just what we deal with as women. So if we're already going to deal with it, we might as well get paid for it. Thank you for sharing all of those gems on the way that you are a thought leader in the community and thought leader for working women and a thought leader for women who pursue careers. If we turn our attention to the way you lead your team. It looks to me like you have a very dynamic team that has a lot of moving parts on an ongoing basis. You have VAs coming in and out of your company because you support what you were talking about, the company in Madison that supported tours of duty. It really seems like you have the same mentality with your company of really supporting these team members in their own growth, not just for the growth of your company. And that I really admire. So that means you're going to have people in and out of your team and in a positive way. And then you have your clients. It just seems like there's a lot of moving parts. So I'm curious, how do you as the leader of this dynamic company stay in touch with your team's reality? You know, I love the connection points. So when I have a client well, you're a you're a beautiful example of this. When we have a VA who uh, is a yoga teacher, for instance, and is interested in seeing the inner workings of a of how something really successful works, that's great for the VA, but also great for you because they understand the terms. They, they understand so much more about the work that you're doing. Um, and we've had we've had some really really good successes like that. I know you and I share a love for Whitney Tatum now of Moxie Consulting. And she was such a good example of, so she came on as a VA. And when we first met her, she was trying to sort of figure out what her next step was. She had been a business owner and she was a brilliant virtual assistant. And as she was trying to figure it out, it seemed to me as she was talking about it, that it was very clearly she was going to leave us to form a consultancy of her own around operations. And at the time I was adding onboarding specialists to our team who would really walk clients through the first three months of having a VA because we know that that's just a really tough, it's a really tough transition to go from zero to working with someone seamlessly. And so we put Whitney on it. And when our clients needed operation support to get ready for a VA, she was a perfect person to have in there. She was really, she was more prescriptive than anyone on my team about, well, you need a project management system. Here's what I recommend. You need SOPs for all of this. Here's what I recommend. And and so she helped our clients. She did that for our company too. And then when she was ready to move on, first of all, because we had this open conversation, it was not a surprise to anyone. You know, we had been talking about it. We had talked about how it would happen for months. She set our clients up for success as she was moving on. And now we'll call her in whenever we have a client that really needs operation support and we'll support her until the end of time. But sometimes I think about it like we're a lily pad for people. It's a soft landing. 
and stay here for a while. When you're ready to do the big thing that you were thinking of doing anyway, we're going to support you in that too. And so when people leave, we want to be in a position to celebrate it because it's a good thing. We don't actually lose people because they're terrible. We tend to, we tend to lose people because they're going to the next phase of a really beautiful journey. And, and so make sure that our clients are in the best possible position to support that. So they can be in a position to celebrate it too, but it certainly has made, it makes my job way more fun. And I don't think I would want to be in a company that didn't to those little, those little connection points. And, you know, this morning, now the VAs, when you're new, you do a presentation about this is who you are and this is what you want to learn. And this is where your career is going. And it gets sent out to my core team. And I was reviewing one this morning from this woman who is training to be a doula. She talked about how how important that was for her and something she was really passionate about, especially for black women in maternal care. And I had the opportunity to say, oh my gosh, this is amazing because Yesterday, I was on the golf course for a golf outing supporting the Foundation for Black Women's Wellness and met a woman who specifically matches Black women with Black doulas. And we have a client who does, who is trains healthcare workers in multicultural maternal mental health. So we'll put her on that account. And you know, at some point, you just put it in a blender and see what happens. Yeah, we're back to the blender. And it's- oh, I love it. I love it. That is really, you really got to like, you know, pause at those moments and be like, oh, this just was meant to be. That's so cool. And it really sounds like the pieces are communication, points of connection, and then kind of an abundance mentality. That's what I'm hearing. And that is so powerful. And it's sort of against the way that we, that leadership was served to us. And maybe it's a masculine feminine thing, but I love it. Communication, connection, abundance, there's a masculine feminine thing. I think men have been running companies all wrong and we have allowed it to say, we have to go into the office and we have to behave this way and we have to be in competition with other people. And when you have women running companies, we do some really great stuff. Yes, we do. (laughs) So do any examples come to mind of how you gravitated towards leadership as a child? And were there any characteristics that you had as a kid that still show up in the way that you lead? Yeah, this is, I find this really fascinating because I'm watching my kids grow into who they'll become. And my son is a born entrepreneur and, and Forward Fest is happening in Madison now where the entrepreneurial and tech communities come together. We're going to watch pitches. My son has never, I'm not sure he's ever seen an entrepreneur pitch their company. It was like imbued naturally with this ability because when he wants allowance, we, he gets us a pitch and he has all of the mannerisms of the entrepreneurial guys. It was really adorable. I mean, it's actually adorable on the entrepreneurial guys too, <laughs> but it's when it's on a 10 year old, it's particularly cute. But I always had a side hustle. I had a little business walking dogs. That was still the most lucrative thing I've ever done proportionally. And I was like 15 <laughs> years old and I had all this money. And actually, that was really, that was, I think, so important to my self-image that I am someone who makes a lot of money. And I learned that early. And I loved, I loved being somebody who was like, oh, I'm just going to buy myself. I don't know. What did I buy? I bought myself like a VCR. I took myself (laughs) to, when when my friend's family invited me to go with them to Hawaii, but I would, but my parents would have to pay my way. I didn't even ask them. I knew I could pay my own way. And, you know, it wasn't like, 
it wasn't exorbitant, but it was probably a flight and meals to Hawaii. Yeah. And I, so there, I just had this in my self image that I am someone who gets to do a lot of neat things because I'm a big money maker and I've never let that. So sometimes it hasn't been true, certainly, <laughs> but I've never let it leave my self image. <laughs> I love it. And that really, I mean, translates exactly to the messages that you put in your book about women and money. So I love it. How do you balance the sometimes conflicting needs and goals of the individuals on your team with the needs and goals of the organization, which may also differ from your own needs and goals? How do you navigate that as a leader? One of our core rules is that we leave people better than we found them. So the core team and I ask that of ourselves quite a lot. Are we leaving someone better than we found them? And we understand who our client is now. We didn't necessarily understand who that was and who, more importantly, who it was not in the beginning. And specifically, I'm thinking about clients that clients that were not kind to their VAs, which was a really bizarre, it was a really bizarre experience for me because I know most of the people that are clients personally, and I would never be that I was working with, just it wouldn't occur to me. And so the whole thing seemed very strange. But as we learned more about it, we were always businesses, not necessarily hugely profitable, but they were already, they already had a proven business model. The problem with folks that were, that were unkind to come from companies that they were, they were building companies that were not yet profitable. So they didn't know what to tell a VA to do. You know, you can't, you can't expect a VA to figure out what about you and your company is going to be successful in the market. But you can say to a VA, this is what I do to be successful. Now you do it. That's just a better situation. And there was too much pressure on both the client and the VA when there is not already a proven business model and the profitable proof of that. So now that's something that we that we screen for. But I certainly did not understand what was going on for a, I mean, for a long time. And then as we were navigating that, which was certainly a tough, you know, that was a tough thing to go through. We're really open. I really like it when people tell me the truth. I don't want anyone on my team to tell me what I want to hear because that's not helpful. And also I don't want to go around with my skirt stuck into my pantyhose. <laughs> you know, like if we're going to be good enough friends, you have to tell me that. Somebody to tell me the truth. And luckily I have a really candid team. That's, that's great. That's huge. Okay. As we finish up, I have a few last questions for you. If you could give yourself a message for your first day in leadership with the wisdom and experience you have now, what would that message be? Something like, you don't have to do it like anyone else. You can just do it the way you do it. Just be, you know, it can be your style, anyone else. You don't have to do it in anyone else's style. Love it. That would be good advice for me on my first day. Okay. Is there one tool or strategy that you use for staying effective in your busy life? The ones that I rely on most are um, Superhuman for my email, okay. monday.com for project management, and uh, I live and die by my Google calendar. Okay. This is my last question. If you had a day off, and by off, I mean you could not accomplish anything in work or in the rest of your life, what is one activity you would do and one place you would go to get something to eat? Absolutely. Go on a hike at the dog park. It's a like huge one in Verona specifically. This is like the best place ever. And and then I would eat at Good Company at Pioneer Point, hopefully on a Friday because 
Chef Jen has a, it's a fish fry sandwich that is so good. It's uncomfortable to eat it around other people. Like, I feel like we, I need to be alone with the sandwich. It's so good. It's perfect in every way. That's exactly what I'm doing to cut a long dog park hike and then have this unbelievable fish sandwich on a Friday at Goodco. I love it. Well, I have to tell you one funny story. I have a son who's 15 and he has a little squad of best friends. There's four others. So there's five total of them. And they're like a group of puppies. They do everything together. And he was having a sleepover at one of the friend's houses that's by that restaurant. And they got all dressed up in button down shirts and dress shorts and they all five went out to dinner together and they put their phones in a stack in the middle of the table so that they could have really quality time together. And I just laughed so hard because not only have I not even been to that restaurant, but they did this hilarious thing. So if you see a group of five teenagers there, one of them belongs to me. So I just had to share that. Cutest thing ever. That's so awesome. now I know what our next thing can be. We're going to have lunch on a Friday and good go. Done. I would I would love it. I'm so in. And I asked him, that's so cute. Did you take a picture? And he said, no, mom, we put our phones in the middle of the table. So we did not take a picture. <laughs> Just like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Well, Ashley, thank you so, so much for talking with me about your perspectives and your experiences in leadership and all of the amazing work you're doing in the world. Where can people find out more about you if they want to bring you to a stage near them or hire one of your VAs? How can people get in touch with you? The website for my VA company is myva.rocks. And I am very active on LinkedIn as Ashley Quinto Powell, or you can check out my personal website at ashleyquintopowell.com. Jimmy, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. And we'll link everything in the show notes. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back next time with another awesome interview. Thank you so much for listening. Follow the Leaders is produced by Lit Path Studios and music is by Shane Ivers. You can hear more about this show and all the other podcasts at Lit Path Studios by going to www.litpathstudios.com.